This is the Victory Podcast. Every week, we'll share an inspiring message about God's grace and forgiveness for you, wherever you're at in life. Your victory starts now. Well, this week, I really struggled to figure out what I should be preaching on. Should I just go with the text that we had assigned to continue to preach through this series on First Peter, or should I uh, change it up and and, and I settled on, at the end, just to preach what I was going to preach on. And I found that this is exactly, I think, what we all need to hear. It comes from 1 Peter chapter 2. And, and Peter says to God's people scattered throughout the Roman world, he says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners, foreigners, and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Lord God, we thank you for the blessing of of technology through this live stream that we can continue to worship together and encourage one another in the chat room and, and build one another up. And so I pray, Lord God, that you would use your word to encourage all those who might be feeling anxious or, or, or a lack of purpose or wondering what to do next. Lord God, show us the way you want us to go. And, and, and don't let anything I say or do get in the way of your will. In your name we pray, amen. When I was in college, I took a year off to go down and live in the Dominican Republic to teach English to Haitian students, and it was an incredible experience. Uh, But it was challenging. For the first time in my life, I was an outsider. I was in the minority. Uh, For the first time in my life, I had to navigate a whole new type of world. I had to figure out different customs and a different language. And sometimes it was downright scary. I think for many Christians living in 2020, it can kind of feel like you're an outsider. You can kind of feel like you're almost in a different country, a a country that's totally different than the one you might have grown up in. At least that's sometimes how I feel. I remember growing up, when I grew up on my block, everyone around me were Christians. And there was almost kind of like this social pressure to be a Christian. Uh, there was this pressure, maybe even political or social pressure, to, to, if you strayed away from Christianity, to go back to Christianity. But soon I remember like in college, I just felt the world was changing. In the early 2000s, I, I recognized that we are moving more into a postmodern culture. And, and the view kind of turned into, hey, you do your thing, I'll do my thing. Uh, you, if you want to be Christian, that's fine for you, uh, but I'm going to do my thing. And, and so that was a postmodern worldview. And then more recently, many people have said that we're in a post-Christian world. A post-Christian society, especially in the United States, where, where now the response is actually a Christianity. Um, that's actually maybe a bad thing. There's a response against Christianity, a, a reaction to Christianity. And so for many people who... who who want to follow Jesus, you might feel vulnerable. You might be scared. You might not know how to navigate this new world where you feel like an outsider. 
And that might invoke kind of a, a, a fight or flight response. Some people want to fight against it, uh, prove that Christianity is right and true and, and resist it. Or there might be a flight kind of response where I'm going to abandon my Christian faith. I don't want to be an outsider. I want to give in. Or maybe abandon the culture and live in my own kind of Christian bubble. But I don't think you have to do any of those things. In fact, as we go through our scripture reading today, I think we're going to find that this is the kind of culture where we could thrive as Christians. In fact, that's the question I want to answer today. How can Christians thrive in our current culture? How can Christians thrive in our current culture? And to answer that question, we're going to continue our sermon series called The Way of the Exile, and we're going to look at a letter from Peter, the first Peter. And Peter is writing this letter about 60 A.D. Uh, Nero is the emperor of, of Rome, and he's starting to see these pockets of Christians pop up and he sees them as a threat. And so now there seems to be this persecution against Christianity. And so if you decide to be a Christian and you get baptized and all those things in the first century about this time, you're not only uh, challenged by maybe uh, the Jewish culture, the, by the Sanhedrin and some of those rulers, but now you're being persecuted by the Roman Empire. And so they felt this kind of persecution. In fact, Nero saw that, that the Christians were such a problem that anytime there was an issue, he would blame the Christians. When there was a fire in Rome, he blamed the Christians. In fact, to, to punish the Christians, he, he tied them up and lit them like human torches to light up his gladiator games. And so it's very intense. If you're going to be a Christian in the first century, about 60 AD, uh, it, it, was, it, was a, it was a very difficult situation. It was scary. It was scary. And, and so Peter is writing to them and, and he wants to encourage them in this letter. And so he begins by saying this to them. He says, beloved. He greets them by saying, beloved. He could have said lots of things like, hey, friends. And said, in fact, some of the English translations say, uh, dear friends. But literally, it's Beloved. And this is the same word that the Father, God the Father, spoke when Jesus was baptized. He said, this is my beloved son. I'm so happy with him. And that gave Jesus the confidence to fulfill his mission, to, to stand up to temptation, that he knew that the world might think Jesus, Jesus knew the world might think he was crazy, but his father loved him. His father was crazy about him. And that's what Peter wanted the first century Christians to know. That although the world might think they're crazy, the Roman Empire might think they're crazy, all the, all the neighbors might think they're crazy, but if they knew that God was crazy about them, they could have kind of a humble confidence. A humble confidence. And that's the same thing today. That's all it takes sometimes is one person to, to be for you that you can, you can stand up in, in the face of difficulty. Sometimes people ask me, you know, how can you preach uh, in front of a crowd of people? And, and one response I give sometimes is, well, I really don't care what you think about me. <laughs> I really don't care uh, what, 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 what your response is, if you like my sermon or not, because I know something. My wife's crazy about me. <laughs> and if my wife's crazy about me, if, if, she, if she approves of me, I, I have that one person that approves of me, I don't care what you think. And that's what it's like to be a Christian. Um, if I know that God approves of me, it doesn't matter what you think about me. And it doesn't matter what the world thinks about you. If God's crazy about you, it's okay to feel like the world. It's okay if the world thinks you're crazy. 
you can have a humble confidence. You don't need to be arrogant, but you also don't need to be scared because God calls you his beloved in Jesus Christ. In Jesus Christ, you're forgiven. You're brought into his family. And then he goes on, he says, beloved, you, you've been loved by God because of Jesus Christ. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Exiles. Now, why does he call them exiles? They're in their own country. They're in the Roman government. They're in the Roman citizens in the Roman Empire. They're not in a foreign country. Why does he call them foreigners and exiles? Well, Peter assumes that his hearers know something about Bible history. You see, he assumes that they know something about how Israel were exiles and he wants them to take on the identity of the ancient people of Israel when they were exiled into Babylon. I don't know if you know that story. Let me explain it a little bit. 1,400 years before Jesus, the people of Israel were in Egyptian slavery for 400 years. And then in 1400 BC, Moses took them out of Egyptian slavery through the wilderness and then Joshua brought them into the promised land. And they were in the land of Canaan under leaders called judges. They were kind of these tribal leaders like Samson and, and some of these other leaders, these judges. And they didn't do a very good job. They drove the nation into the ground. They, they worshiped false gods. They had all sorts of strange practices. And then the next 400 years, they had kings and they thought maybe this would be an improvement. Kings like Saul and David and Solomon and Rehoboam. And it seemed like things were going pretty well for a while, but the same thing. When they were in power and control, they drove the nation of Israel into the ground. Until finally, after God had been patient with them for 800 years, the big bad empire of Babylon in 600 B.C., under Nebuchadnezzar's rule, Babylon came in, destroyed the temple, Solomon's temple, destroyed the temple, and carried the tribe of Judah, the people of Israel, carried them off into exile. And now they were a minority. Now they were outsiders. Now they were in a vulnerable position. And they had to figure out how to navigate this world in a foreign land. And that's what Peter is calling the first century Christians. He's saying, you're in the minority. You're outsiders. You are, you, you are living as exiles even in your own country. And that's the same identity that he wants us to take on. The first fill in the blank is we are exiles. We too are in, we're, we're in a post-Christian world. That means we're in the minority. That means we are outsiders, even in our own country. If you call yourself a Christian, you are in the minority. You are not in a place of power. You're not in a place of control. You do not have any leverage over the culture. You're in a place of weakness, in a place of vulnerability. We are exiles. Well, how do we live as exiles? What does this look like? Well, in the Old Testament, when Israel was in exile, a prophet named Jeremiah wrote them a letter explaining how they were to live in this vulnerable position. Uh, they were tempted to think, oh, we'll just be here for a little while. Um, we don't need to assimilate in the culture. We don't need to do anything here in Babylon. We're going to leave here soon anyways. And they were tempted to live kind of isolated lives. So Jeremiah wrote to them and said this. 
build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Jeremiah was telling the ancient Israelites, you're in exile, get used to it. Plant a garden, get married, have some babies, get used to Babylon because you're going to be here a while. In fact, while you're here, pray for Babylon. And and that must have made the Israelites kind of scratch their head. Hey, these were the nation that took us into exile. Pray for Babylon? Hey, this was the group of people that, that persecuted us. We're supposed to pray for them? Yes, pray for Babylon, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. And that was the same for the first century Christians. They were in the minority. They were not going to change Rome, but Rome could change them. They were to learn to navigate uh, their new life as exiles in Rome, and that's the same for us. We need to learn how to live as exiles in our own country. And so we need to have a different perspective. Maybe there was a time when we thought that we had the power as Christians, that we were in the majority, that we could throw our weight around. I remember there was a time where where people thought, we're going to boycott Hollywood. I don't like the values coming out of Hollywood. We're going to boycott Hollywood. Or we're going to try to legislate morality through the government. Well, I don't think that was a good idea no matter when it was, but that doesn't even, it's not even on the table anymore. Um, We are in the minority. We can't change the culture but the culture could change us. It made me think of what it was like when I lived in the Dominican Republic. Uh, I was in the minority there. I couldn't tell the culture how to act. I I was in the minority. And so, for example, when I flew in the Dominican Republic, they lost my bags. And and so the next day I went back to the airport with another Dominican friend of mine and, and I went to the security and talked to them and I could see my bags behind the counter. And, and I told them, I said, those are my bags. And the airport security said, we just can't find them. We don't know where they are. And so my friend here, the Dominican, he said, um, they're looking for a bribe. They're waiting for a bribe. And in that moment, I could say, hey, I demand my rights. That's not how we do things. I'm an American citizen. It wouldn't have mattered. I was not in the United States anymore. I was in a foreign country. They do things differently in another country. And I needed to respect that and understand that. And so gave him a 20 and got my, book, got my bags and went home. And that's the posture of exiles in the United States. We're not going to change Hollywood. We're not going to change um, our culture's values through force or for might. We don't have any weight to throw around. We don't need leverage to throw around. So what do we have left and what should we do? We, we can't change the culture, but Peter says here, the culture might change us. Here's what he says. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. What he's saying is here is you're not going to be able to change Rome just like Israel couldn't change Babylon, but Rome could change you. We're not going to be able to change Hollywood. We're not going to change the culture, but the culture could change us. 
And so Peter is saying, if you want to fight against something, fight the flesh. Fight your own sinful flesh. There's, there's plenty for us to do to, to fight against our own sinful nature. Uh, it's not like we're any better than anybody else in our culture. We sin, we can fall into sin just like anybody else. And so instead of spending all of our energy trying to fight the culture, let's fight against our own sinful flesh that wants to lead us into temptation. Let's avoid those things. So we might avoid some things that come out of Hollywood. We might avoid some things that we could see on YouTube. We might avoid some things in our culture, not because we think we can boycott our culture, but we, we know that it could damage our own soul. But does that mean that we're supposed to leave our culture? Does that mean we're supposed to live in our own Christian bubble? No. And Peter goes on to explain that. He says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. In one translation, it says, live such good lives among the pagans. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So live among the Gentiles, but live a good life. Be the best neighbor on your block. Be the best employee at your work. If somebody gets sick, be the one who's going to help them. If somebody is in, in need, do good. Love people. That's what Peter is telling them in the first century. He said, live a good life. Not to earn forgiveness from Jesus. You're already forgiven and loved by God. Do good to serve your neighbor. And why was that so important that God's people, especially in the first century, did good? Because he goes on to say, so that when they speak against you as evildoers. What does he mean by this? Well, the Romans saw Christianity not just as ignorant, but evil. See, the Roman Empire had expanded over the whole Western world, basically. And, and, and it, was, it was getting so big, it was starting to come apart at the seams. And the only thing that, that kept the Roman Empire together was religion, was worshiping the emperor or worshiping the Roman gods. And so all of a sudden, um, the Roman Emperor, like Nero and the other Romans, saw these pockets of Christians popping up, and they were good, upstanding citizens that followed Roman law, except for this they didn't follow the Roman gods, they didn't worship the Roman religion. And so the Romans looked at Christians as a threat a threat to their way of life, a threat to their empire, that their empire wasn't going to stay glued together um, if these Christians were permitted to keep on uh, practice, not practicing Roman religion. In fact, because the Christians didn't worship the Roman gods, they were the first ones to be called atheists. That's right. Christians were the first ones to be called atheists because they didn't follow the Roman gods. Not only that, because the Romans saw Christians as a problem, they, had, they started to spread other rumors about it. We have ancient texts of Romans writing about Christians and saying, I've heard that those Christians, when they get together, they're cannibalists because they gather together in their homes and they eat this guy's body and drink his blood. Well, we know that was the Lord's Supper. It's bread and wine. And then they started spreading these rumors that I hear when they get together, they're incestuous because when they get together for their little worship love feast or whatever they call those things, um, they, they're, they're gathered together for, they call each other brother and sister and they, they give each other um, this, this kiss of love. Well, we know what that is. The community of Christians gathering together 
and we're a family in faith. We're brothers and sisters in faith. But there's all these rumors that were spreading about the first century Christians as evil. And so Peter says the way to overcome evil is by doing good. And they did. See, in Roman culture, they had a very low view of, of human life. And so if a child was born with defects or, or, or un, unwanted, they would abandon the child or worse, throw the child into the river. And it was Christians in the first century that would gather these children up and bring them into the, their homes or if they died, would bury them and, and have a funeral service for them. And that's how orphanages started because of Christians gathering up children. And that's how hospitals started as, as Christians took care of the aged and the infirm and the sick. In fact, there was one emperor, Julian, who said, you know what, we're never going to be able to stop Christianity because not only do Christians take care of their own, they take care of our poor as well. And Christians did so much good in the first century that they could no longer be called evildoers. And that's what we need to do today. See, I think we're in a, a similar situation where maybe 30, 40, 50 years ago, Christians were called ignorant. Um, maybe people looked at them and said, oh, those Christians, they don't, they, they don't stand by science of today. They're anti-scientific. They're just ignorant or they're old-fashioned. And that was maybe 30, 40 years ago. And so there was lots of pastors who were writing books and, and giving seminars to show how our faith is rational and scientific and observable. But that was then, this is now. In the last decade or so, now Christianity is not just seen as ignorant, it's seen as evil. And so many times Christians, especially in movies, are portrayed as the, the evil person, the person holding back Christ, uh, the culture. They're bigots or homophobic or closed-minded or judgmental. And just like rumors were spread in the first century, rumors are spread about Christians today. And so you could uh, try to resist that and try to prove that you're right, but I don't think you're going to get anywhere. I think much better is to follow what Peter says. Do good. That's the takeaway. I spent all week studying this sermon and that's what we're getting out of this sermon. Do good. Do good. You're not going to win anybody anymore with an argument. They're not listening anymore. Uh, do good. And we have an opportunity to do incredible good right now. Just like the first century was going through a crisis of human life and, and there was all sorts of people who were suffering with poverty and disease and all those things and Christians uh, sacri made sacrifices to care for people. Today, we have the epidemic of this coronavirus that's sweeping the world. And, and so many people are driven to panic and when you're in a situation of panic, you can get very selfish and self-centered and only think about yourself. And we've already seen this kind of attitude play out in the grocery stores and in the convenience stores. People are in panic mode. But as a Christian, you can remember that you're loved by God. He knows the number of hairs on your head. He is going to take care of you. He's going to be with you. And because he is with you, you have the, the opportunity to use all of your energy in service to your neighbor. And if Christians rise up right now in service to their neighbor, this is our time to do good and to shine, to show who we follow. We follow a God who made the ultimate sacrifice, who made himself weak, 
who allowed himself to be beaten and bruised. He put himself in the place of the poor. He, he, he put himself in the place of the sick. We follow a God who gave up everything and sacrificed for us. And so now let us show who God is as we make sacrifices for one another, as we do good. And when we do good, people will glorify God as we await for Jesus' ultimate return. That's what Peter says. Now, I look back on my time in the Dominican Republic. I actually only spent six months there that year, and, and it, was, it was incredible. It was difficult to learn a new culture, a new, learn a new language, new customs, to, to learn how to, to rent an apartment and to really make that my home. It was difficult, but man, it was life-changing being put in a place of weakness and vulnerability led me to, to trust in God in all those situations. It, it led me to, 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 to grow in ways that I couldn't have grown back in the States. And I think that's the same thing about being in exile. Um, this is where the church flourishes. It was when Israel was in exile in Babylon that we had the characters, the, the people that came out like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, these people who showed incredible faith. It purified their faith. It, it led them to show what their faith was really all about. When the early Christian church was in this exile mode of this minority, this is when we really shined as Christians. And right now, this is not a time to feel scared or vulnerable or have our heads down. It's actually a time for Christians to shine. See, we don't have any power or control over anybody. There's no pressure for people to follow Jesus. All we have left is love. And that's what the message of Christianity has always been about anyways. And so embrace the identity of exile and do good. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, we pray that you would encourage our hearts we can be just as anxious, just as afraid as anybody else. And so remind us who you are, that you are a big God, that you are still in control and you will provide for all of our needs and, and not a hair from our head will fall without you recognizing it. Lord God, you are in control. And then, Lord God, from a place of, of humble confidence, lead us to represent your love as we love our neighbor. We ask all this in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Victory Podcast, brought to you by Victory of the Lamb in Franklin, Wisconsin. For video sermon archives, more information about us, and to let us know how we can meet you where you're at, go to victoryofthelamb.com.